The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Okay, we are live. I'm Bill Amadeo, McManus and Amadeo, and Grable and Associates. And tonight, we're going to focus some on Grable and Associates. We're going to actually tell a little story about that. And we're going to hone in on Scott Grable. Because a lot of people don't seem to realize that Scott Grable is not just a great businessman, but an amazing lawyer. He's in my opinion, maybe the best criminal mind in the state of Michigan. You know, people get a lot of credit for winning trials, as they should. But trials are about maybe 10 to 50% of what we do. There are motions, there's negotiations, there's understanding polygraphs, there's understanding sexual evaluations. There's so many aspects that go into criminal law. And I will tell you, there's nobody better in the state as a complete package than Scott Crable. We'll get into that. Then we'll talk some about Ashley Duplessis, all love. I'll tell you some funny Ashley Duplessis stories, because Ash, AD2, as our nickname, she is a great lawyer, rising star, but she will use me to get out of bad dates and make me do fake phone calls, and I think the world needs to know about that a little bit. Right, live audience? All right. Rest in peace to Gary Moore. Coach Mower got a bad rep. You know, it's a shame that in life we take the one negative thing in someone's life and we spin that. You know, we twist it. Here's a guy who was a role model for young men. He coached his ass off. Good man. And we're going to take one drunken incident and taint this guy and piss away decades of amazing work. That's sad, guys. That's just messed up. That is frustrating. Gary Moeller was a great coach. And a good guy. Yeah, one bad night drinking at a bar. And you know, I gotta tell you something. I don't drink. Can you imagine if I drank? Oh. The shit that comes out of my mouth sober? Oh. I want you to think about something, guys. I want you to think about your life, right? I want you to think of the one up, the one screw up, the worst moment you had, and you could live this amazing life, and people will focus on that one hiccup. That man's image was tainted the rest of his life, because assholes in the media spun things. It's really a shame. You know, it really is a shame. And Joe Abera, I know you would love to see me drunk. There's a lot. Live always love to see me drunk, right? You imagine me throwing back shots? Oh, my God. This is sober, guys. This is completely sober. Hi. There was a prosecutor I used to go to war with. And he told his boss that Bill Amadeo must have a drinking problem. Because he was emailing me about a case at 2 o'clock in the morning. No, bro, I was up working. <laughs> and there, there's a funny story behind that, too. But we, we'll, we'll save that for another time. All right. Let's talk about Grable and Associates. 
Scott Crave, I hope you're tuned in. If not, you'll get the link. When I started my career, and, you know, people know this. I've only been doing Crim Law five years. It's hard to believe, right? It's only been five years. You know, thousands of cases now in the books. And it's insane. But um, Scott Grable took a shot on me. Winnie Rich saw me as a tutor in Lansing. And she would see me there at 7 o'clock in the morning. She would see me there at 8 o'clock at night. And Winnie Rich said to Scott Grable, who was a friend before he was my employer at that firm, you got to hire this kid. He works his ass off. He's going to make us all a lot of money. He's going to be a great criminal defense lawyer. And I didn't know shit about criminal law. And Scott Grable took a chance on me. And it changed my career. So when our firm took off, I remained with Scott. And that's because I basically have two full-time jobs. But let me tell you some of the reasons I stayed with Scott besides our friendship. People don't know it because they look at the Grable and Associates models as marketing machine. We have this group of lawyers in all these areas that are renowned. This is what Google says, right? You got McQuarrie in Livingston. You got Amadeo in Shiawassee and Washington. You got Brugnoli and um, Smith and Kent. Whatever. And Scott put this team together. He put these weapons together to advocate for clients. And he gets known for being this internet guru, this marketing genius. And he is. Here's what people forget about Scott Grable, and I want everybody to really listen to what I'm about to say. He is an absolutely amazing attorney. He's a great trial lawyer. He's tried over 20 cases. He has been in front of juries. He's been before the Michigan Supreme Court. He's been before the Michigan Court of Appeals. He's done it all. And one thing Scott taught me which changed my career, is that being a great trial lawyer, that's part of the problem, part of the issue, right? We have a problem, we have to go to trial sometimes. But that's about 10 or 15% of what being a lawyer is all about. Do you understand a standaway motion? Do you understand a missing evidence instruction? Do you understand the -the state-of-the-art motions that nobody understands, which, by the way, is helping us immensely in certain cases we have which we won't get into tonight. But I will tell you, the case that really put me on the map, the one that really put me on the map before Bobby Reyes was the Eric Coleman case. I was scared shitless before the Eric Coleman trial. Eric's family could have hired any lawyer in the state. And back then, I was a dark horse to get that case. When I took on Eric Coleman's case, you could argue that I was not ready for a case that intense. And I called Scott Grable. And I was scared. I'm like, what do I do? And he coached me up day one, free of charge. It was my firm, not his firm. He taught me what I had to do with Eric on the stand. He helped me break down Vordaire. He broke down trial strategy like nobody ever knew. He's been an amazing mentor. And the reason he knew so much is because he's been in the fucking wars. He's been in the trenches. Scott Grable is a badass trial lawyer. I just think he's making more money doing the marketing right now. But to anybody, the question is ability. That's bullshit. 
They had a recent win, Grable and Associates, a case I wasn't involved in. Bill McQuarrie was the head trial lawyer on a case in Jackson, and they got a not guilty, and a great job by Bill. But let me tell you, while Bill got the win at trial, here's what people don't realize. Scott and his team, and Tim Doman, who was an amazing appellate lawyer, they did these amazing motions at the Court of Appeals. They did these interlocutory appeals. They prepped the question so hard. They set it up, and Bill knocked it down. Great win, but it was a team effort. We forget about that sometimes. Because there's so many things. When you win a trial, or you get a dismissal, had a recent dismissal, guy was facing 85 years. I busted my ass on that case. But so many things were done behind closed doors. It's great to spike the football after you score a touchdown, but you know what? How did we get to the end zone? That's what's forgotten about. Scott Grable is a top-notch trial lawyer. Quote me on that. I hope to become the trial lawyer he is in the near future. Because if I become the trial lawyer Scott Grable is, with my crazy work ethic and personality, that'd be pretty cool. I'm getting there, but he's ahead of me. And I'm grateful I'm on that team. That team has helped mold me. Every big win I've had, Every one of them. And there's been a lot the last three years, you know? Um, check out Google for my haters, okay? But there's been some major wins. Every win I've had, Scott Grable's played a role in it. Whether it was a Grable and Associates case or a McMaster Amadeo case. You don't see when I'm calling Scott Grable 10 o'clock at night to go over a faulty police report. He made the connection for me to meet Andrew Longusky and learn about polygraphs. He taught me the Stanaway motion. The guy is a wealth of knowledge. And if he so chose, he would be a very renowned trial lawyer in the state of Michigan. What he's done instead is put this a team in place, which I'm very proud to be part of. But rest assured, when Scott Grable puts on the spikes and goes to trial, he's ready to kick ass. He's done it all. We're lucky to have him as our leader on that firm. And uh, I will never not work for Scott under any circumstances. We are all better lawyers because of our association with Scott Grable. Every trial that GNA wins, whether his name is on it or not, he's played a role in coaching. He doesn't just take the money in its hands off. Yeah, we, get a, we make a lot of money at that firm. Make no mistake about it. But we work our ass off. And the client comes first. There have been times, a certain appeal we know very well about, when a client ran out of money and Scott would not give up on him because he cared more about justice than the bottom line. Money's important. Don't get me wrong. But in this profession, one's freedom little higher, don't you think? We can be great advocates, make great money while still putting our clients first. And that's something that's lost by so many lawyers, but it's not lost by Scott Grable. I will take Scott in trial against anybody in the state any day of the week. Quote me on that. Now, on a lighter note, let's talk about a really good trial lawyer, Ashley Duplessis. Ash, if you're tuned in, I want to say you are working your ass off right now. 
you are becoming a star. And when you work as hard as Ashley does, frustration kicks in sometimes. You know, there's some days in this profession we just want to explode. Like when we find hidden evidence that a piece of prosecutor hid. And I'll tell you, that prosecutor was not in Shiawassee, so let me quote that. Because Scott Corner doesn't hide evidence. But there's some other people that may. And what we've learned is, if you dig under these rocks, you'll find certain things. If we can't play nice, we can't play nice. Let me be real clear on that. And Ashley Duplessis is a warrior. I want to tell you about a sentencing I watched her do. The client was looking at severe prison time. And she argued perfectly for a downward departure. And the guy's going to be out of jail in about nine months and stayed in jail at the Michigan Department of Corrections because she completely laid it on the line. She saved that man at least 40 months of his freedom in a case of Tobles. I've seen Ashley Duplessis turn things around. I've watched her magically twist things. We've won a few cases together. It's great working with her. And if you watch Ash the last couple of years, you just keep seeing her star rise higher and higher and higher. If I had a complaint about Ashley, it would be that she uses me when she's on a bad date. Let's talk about that. Ash, if you're tuned in, I told you this was coming. There's been several times in the recent past when Ashley will say to me, B, I need you to FaceTime me in 20 minutes. I'm on this blind date and I got to get rid of this guy. And she'll text me. She's like, hey, here's the story. You are my good friend who's in need. And you're going to call me. And I'm like, well, why do I have to be the good friend in need? Why can't I be like um, the ex-boyfriend that you're so into? Or the cool guy from college that always had your back? Why do I got to be played the geek? I'm the friend in need. And she's going on. She goes, just shut up and text me. Okay. So <laughs> I was on a date, right? And I'm FaceTiming her. And she walks out the door. She goes, oh my God. And she's making this whole dramatic thing. She tells the guy, I got to go. My friend Bill, don't use the last name. I don't want to hurt business when you're pretending to be a geek. Bill's in trouble. I have to leave. Another funny story is I'm in the jail one day, right? And Ash is at a party at a restaurant. And she goes, hey, I need a cake. They don't, order, they don't have cake at these restaurants. Like, well, no, I need a birthday cake for my friend. I'm like, well, I'm in the jail right now, Ash. She goes, okay, well, just leave the jail, go to Myers and bring me the cake to the restaurant. All reasonable requests. You gotta know, Ash. One of my favorite things is when Ashley and I are banging heads, I'll send her this text message. It'll be the word RELAX. All caps. Now do it one letter at a time. R-E-L-A-X. And before we get to the act, she goes, I swear to God, if you say relax, I'm going to kill you. When we're in that zone of working our ass off, it's good to have somebody like Ashley because, you know, she's got your back. You got her back. Always been a great team effort. And I would say on the case we won together, I think she's been the superior lawyer. That's a lot for me to say, right? But she's kicked some ass. So Ashley, AD, listen. 
I admire you as a lawyer. And when you need me to get you out of a bad date, I would like the fake story to make me look cool at least. You agree with that, right? Yeah. Oh, what the hell? Can I go like a geek? Make me look cool. Come on. I'm the good looking ex-boyfriend that's out of town. No, I'm the geek that needs a friend tonight. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Let's talk about the Ice Bucket Challenge. The Ice Bucket Challenge was really weird. What happened with the Ice Bucket Challenge is it was this thing that was going on in 2014 and 2015 and it was for the ALS situation and what happens is people would like dump buckets of ice water over their head and raise money for charity seemed a little crazy right now in 2014 I'm tutoring heavy Um, I'm living in Lansing with Jewel and I'm not doing the whole law thing yet. Facebook was a big part of my life, obviously. And one day, I'm on Facebook, and I'm going through a news feed, and I see some guy now, and he's screaming as water's coming down. Ah! And I'm like, what the hell's that? Then I sold these Facebook Lives with the Ice Bucket Challenge. So people started asking me, would I dump ice over my head? what are you nuts like why why were people doing this and it became like the middle class america's wet t-shirt contest the telegraph in england wrote these articles about it how different people were doing the ice bucket challenges and it got really crazy it became like if you were going to be cool on social media it is this ice bucket challenge really crazy thing you know, I mean, there's some people that I would love to thump ice over their head, but we'll leave that for another time. But the ice bucket challenge, it was kind of like the wave in baseball. It shows that there were more followers than leaders in this world. It was just something that people were doing left and right. People loved their ice bucket challenge. I never got it. Did you? I mean, what was the point of that? You know, if you want to get money to charity, get money to charity. Got to like dump ice and water over your head to do so. Really weird. Maybe it made some people feel good, though. Maybe they were cool for a minute. You know? They got their little 15 minutes of fame with their Facebook lives. I want to talk about the typing class in high school. There were actually typing teachers in high school. Pressure I had typing class with this guy named Mr. McAnally, and he was an arrogant guy. It was like he told us that you had to type without looking. I still don't do that. But if you couldn't type without looking, you were not going to be successful. And I remember the typing class made me think about clicks in high school. I'm having a conversation with a friend of mine today. And they're going on and on and on about clicks in high school. And they were cool. And I wasn't cool. And... They say, well, you're really cool today. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm cool today. But back to high school, these typing clicks were really a big thing. Remember one day in typing class, Mr. McAnally 
shows this video of him driving to work and paying the toll and talking about typing. What do they do with those typing teachers today? Like, did they, like, push them to the side and make them clean the chalkboard or something? What a useless technique to have. One day, there would be something called Microsoft Word on a computer. It really became something. Remember my typing? Fine, I didn't do great on it. You had to type so many words a minute. And it was like people were deciding who was cool and who was not based on their typing ability. God, that's just crazy. Thank God today we pick who's cool not based on their criminal law ability. That typing is not working. Criminal's going okay. The live audience completely agrees with me on this. And I appreciate that. I do. Let's talk about clicks. You know, everywhere we go, there were these clicks in high school. And these clicks became vicious, man. They became insane. Who was cool? Who was not? Who was hooking up with who? You know, there's this amazing song by Bowling for Soup, one of my favorite bands, called High School Never Ends. And the song is so true. One of the things I regret about Facebook is it gives nobody a chance. Like, people that have been done nothing with their life, gives them this chance to be cool again. We were the man, we were the in high school. Ay, ay, ay. I remember I hated high school with a passion. Here's what I remember about high school. I remember walking home to Willow Avenue with Omar Martin, John Newsom, and Jose Rivera. Omar became a cop. I think John's a teacher. Jose became a correctional officer, I believe. I was the Caucasian in the group, in case you didn't pick up on that. And, um... It was brutal. And I found my little click there. And the click, we kind of protected each other the best we could. Those other three were far more tough than I was, but we found our ways home. We rode our bikes to school. We did this, we did that. And when I think about clicks, it was really interesting because when I started making the mock trial team and all that happy horse I was in school. I was in classes and after hours with all of the margate kids we'll get to them in a minute and then miss scandia she kind of created her own clique with us like who she thought was going to make it out of the hood and who wasn't i never had that traditional clique but let me tell you about five sacks of cliques we can get deeper with these people later in time and you've heard me say this before atlantic city and brigantine went this way ventner and Margate went that way what that meant was poor went this way, wealth went that way. Um, so let's stereotype a little bit, shall we? That cool? The Brigantine clicks. Okay. If you lived in Brigantine, you weren't as poor as living in Atlantic City. Um, on its face, there was a lot of white trash, people would claim, lived in Brigantine. And it was somewhat diverse. My memories of the Brigantine kids were white kids that were trying to pretend to be minorities 
wearing L.A. Raider jackets. It was L.A. Raiders back then. Trying to talk gangster. Selling pot. They were little thugs. You had your Mike Barrett and your Jeff Goldmans. They were like the brains and they were accepted by the Ventnor and Margate kids. Then you had like these little f***ing nobodies. Like these guys that thought they were really tough. They would come to my old neighborhood in droves and find tough black kids to be friends with so they would get their ass beat. Usually by giving them pot and stuff like that. These kids were lost, man. I mean, they were little wannabe thugs. They really weren't tough, but they thought they were. And they were always ballsy when they were together. But you catch one of them alone, they were as pale as a goddamn ghost. Didn't really, um like the brigantine kids that much brigantine girls went for me in a big way when brigantine boys weren't around it was like well i think this guy's cute however he's not thuggish enough but i really like him we're alone very weird place brigantine fun fact it's the second windiest city in the country next to chicago it's a jeopardy question check it out yeah, so Brigantine, a lot of, eh. Atlantic City. Hey, what can I say? I'm a Ducktown kid, right? You know why they call it Ducktown? They call it Ducktown because you had to duck when the bullets were coming. That was the true story. Um, Atlantic City was broken up into a few areas. There was Back Maryland. There was VAC, Virginia Avenue Courts. There were the Chelsea crew. There was Ducktown, which was Pitney Village influence there. Atlantic City had so much talent, but there was just so much tragedy around there. Uh, it was the always top ten of most dangerous cities in the country. And believe me, the administration at Atlantic City High made sure the Ventnor and Margate kids were separated in classes. Atlantic City High was segregation by socioeconomics. That's what it was, really. You know, anybody could tell you differently. And I always found it funny when, like, a veteran or a market kid would say, oh, I'm tough because I went to AC. Dude, you didn't go home to AC. You passed some thugs in the hall who you would give your lunch money to if they demanded such. But you weren't tough. Come on. Let's just be real. And I'm stereotyping. There's exceptions to every rule, but... Growing up Atlantic City in the 90s was not a treat. AC was brutal. You had the Latin Kings. You had the Pitney Lions. You had your Sex of Bloods. You had your Sex of Crips. AC was real. And um, I would say about Atlantic City, you learned a lot of things you didn't know. Didn't need to know. I'll always be grateful for those walks homes with, again, Jose Rivera, Omar Martin, John Newsom. Man, I was lucky enough to fall in with that click, you know, and we bonded a little bit, but it wasn't your traditional clicks. When we learned about clicks, we learned about the Vetner kids. Let me tell you about Vetner. Vetner did not have the money in Margate, but they thought they did. And it was always known that Ventnor and Margate kids would hang together. I swear, dude, it was like a god scene of the Stepford Wives. 
they would dress the same, they would talk the same, you know, same earrings, same tattoos if they wore them. It was weird, man. It was like they had no identity whatsoever. And they were arrogant enough to click you down, but they weren't confident enough to be part of the socioeconomic elite. A lot of insecurities there. I will say most of the kids that were really deemed good-looking from Bettner in the 90s, I've been lucky enough to see under people you know and they stalk my profile, and phew! Let me just say, those girls I liked in Bettner in the 90s, escaped that one. Those. Then there was the Margate crew. The Margate crew was fascinating to me. These kids were the wealthiest of the wealthy, or so we thought. You know, a lot of them were always flexing what their parents bought them. It was normal for them to get a brand new car for their 16th birthday, etc. Sometimes mom and dad had three mortgages. We didn't know about that. This is where Mock Trial and me came in the collision courses. You know, they would always be in their cliques. You had your religious Jewish kids. Then you had just your wealthy Jewish kids. A common theme is most of the parents didn't like each other. They were just there for socioeconomic reasons. God, the Margate kids were a bunch of assholes. I remember there was this one beautiful girl from Margate who I had a huge crush on. Huge crush on this girl. And the summer after my sophomore year, she and I talked. She was really into me. And she told me how, I'll never forget as long as I live, I think you're really cute, I'm really into you, but I can never be seen around my friends with you. Well, just so you know, I've seen your pictures lately. If I'm ever single around you, if I'm ever single again, I'll never be, show you around my friends either. Just so we're clear on that. I hope you're tuning in. What a bitch. Totally. Like, I like you, but I can't be seen with my friends because your parents are poor. That was Margate, man. Fascinating thing happened with Margate. And this hit me. This is one of the reasons I became a criminal lawyer. One of the reasons I became crim is this particular story. There was a kid from Margate. He stole a car. And he was before the juvenile court. White kid, money, family had big money. And there was a black kid I knew who also stole a car. Pay careful attention here. Same offense. The black kid went to Harbor Fields for nine months. Harbor Fields was juvenile detention. And that kid walked in the harbor fields with an associate's degree in criminal justice and walked out with a bachelor's. And sadly today he's got a doctorate because he's been in and out of the New Jersey Department of Corrections. The Margate ass, sorry, kid that stole the car, same judge, was sentenced to write a 200-word essay on why you should not steal vehicles. 
And I learned that day that the criminal justice system is simply not fair. It was not fair that the white kid with money got to write an essay and got to go to college before he failed out with his drug addiction. But the poor black kid got sent away for nine months. It was never the same. Same offense, guys. Learned so much. But it was okay because the white kid that did it was just Margate being Margate. Black kid that did it, well, he's a hardened criminal. That's not justice. Justice should be we punish someone according to the facts and evidence accordingly, equally. We don't charge people without evidence, no matter what the fucking political agenda is. We don't overcharge someone because of the color of their skin, no matter how progressive people pretend to be. What we're supposed to do, especially with young offenders, is call it down the middle. And in 1993, when I saw that Margate ass the 200-word essay, and the poor black kid have his life turned upside down, something just stuck inside of me. And I swear to Christ, I still feel that way today. I'm taken back to being a 16-year-old kid when I'm up against the ropes on a criminal case. A good prosecutor is worth their weight in gold. A bad prosecutor should not have the right to practice law. When we're dealing with young people. Wow. And the clicks of high school. As I'm talking to a friend of mine today, it just brought me back to that moment. How the one kid got an essay, another kid got a sentence. And the paths that set people on. Margie always believed they could buy their way out of shit. Mommy and daddy have enough money. We could buy our way out of stuff. We didn't have that in Atlantic City. And I always was curious why the justice system was the way it was. But it was. No love for Margate. Um, one of my favorite things on Facebook is when a Margate girl I used to have a crush on is drunk and sends me an email on Facebook saying how much she's into me and I kind of laugh about it appreciate that keep them coming they always are good laughs on those tough days so thanks for that then there was the spirit crew alright the spirit crew was the holy spirit kids this was like a cult they used to go to parties and wear their holy spirit gear there I went to spirit the spirit kids came from Galloway Township and they would mingle with the Margate kids, and there was like a touch of flair with that. So, I can get into specifics with all these people, and I will later in time. But for right now, your quick tutorial is, the Brigantine kids were little wannabe thugs. The Atlantic City kids were thrown to brutality. The Ventnor kids weren't wealthy, but in the suburbs, had a little bit of arrogance to them. The Margate kids were little punks and assholes that felt like a bite of weight out of shit. And the spirit kids were the ones that just, they were like the appetizer to the meal. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. 
This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. I'm in Matt McManus' office. He's on vacation. Usually we do these things. What's going on, guys? Weird stuff today, man. Uh, Mike P. Let me tell you about the day. Because Mike made a comment. What was it like in Ogama? Well, let's start with this. There's nothing quite as fun as being an Italian with a Jersey accent and an Ann Arbor address and a broken wall going into Ogama. You fit right in, Mike. I mean, I definitely fit in up north very well. Uh, great result for the client. Weird looks. And then Oakland County. You know, I'll tell you, Oakland's always fascinating. I've actually, I, I like Oakland in some ways, but some of the local lawyers, not all of them, but they just look at you with such animosity when you walk into their courtroom. And I don't know, I kind of enjoy that. We'll get into that more with the whole Jersey drama later. So it was an interesting day. Um, I don't know, this D Black shit, let's talk about it. Let's break it down. D. Black is stirring stuff up about Mayor Ken, and I'm told that Tom Menke has an issue with Mayor Ken, and why? What's the deal? The Mayor Ken election. Here's a guy who's improved Iran. He's helped the economy. He's a lifelong resident of Shiawassee. He's a good family man. Why are we against Mayor Ken? Because Brian Boggs says no, or Greg Bodor says no. Let's explain something, guys. The commissioner, Brodor, Greg, whatever, he said that the Shiawassee economic base was in jeopardy. Brodor said this. Brian Boggs played a role in this. We know about the COVID fiasco. We know about the sexual harassment suits. Here's Mayor Ken with no dirt on him. Mayor Ken has kicked ass in Durand. He's a good guy. I want to make sure that Dylan comes out. I mean, you know, I put on my finest clothes for this one. So here's Mayor Ken who's doing all this good stuff and he's getting bashed in the media. I always said the Board of Commissioners could learn from our circuit court out there. Things would be going somewhat smoother. With all the drama going on, I hear Tom Mankey's behind it. So I sent Tom Mankey a message today, and I'll post this message. I said point blank, Tom, I understand a lot of drama. I would invite you and me to have a live feed over Mayor Ken and anything Shiawas you care to discuss. It's my understanding you have issues with me. I'll be more than happy to meet with you in a public or private forum to discuss it. So let's be clear, before Tom Mankey says I'm threatening him or anything, it was a polite email. Tom, if you got an issue with me, we can talk about it man to man. The reality is this. I hope that you want what's best for Shiawassee. I know I do. And what's best for Shiawassee is for Mayor Kennedy win that election. You know that, and I know that. Let's quit the bullshit, man. There's not one bad thing about Mayor Ken. There's not one thing that's an attribute to this community. What is your problem? And D. Black... I don't know if D Black's Tom Mankey. I don't know if D Black's Jeremy Root. I don't know if D Black's Brian McCall. I don't know. And you know why I don't know for sure? Because D Black does not have enough courage to actually have a real profile. I said this before. I'll say it again. D, 
I'll give you $2,500 cash if you reveal who you are, show me the IP address, and we meet in public. This is bullshit. These elections are chaotic. The Board of Commissioners has been an utter disgrace other than Marlene Webster. Look what they did with the lawyer funding. Look what they did with the COVID money. Look at the economic situation they've put your community in. How can you not want to change? Look what Mayor Ken did in Durand. And look what the Jeremy Roots and Cindy Garbers of the world have done with your board. It's not rocket science, right? My God. You know, I mean, instead of talking about people, why are we not working as a team to fix the economy out there? Good God. Really frustrating. Mayor Ken, you got my support. That means money. That means publicity. Whatever you need on my end. I'm sorry you're getting bashed, but you know, whenever there's a good politician, you're going to deal with a lot of Jermaine Ruffin once said to me, he's a great guy out of Lansing, who's a big person in the community, politics is a full contact sport. And, um, yeah. There's no reason for D. Black to be hiding. There's no reason for Tom Mankey and I to discuss things. Let's do a whole thing. We'll go Tom Mankey, Josh Champlain, I'll be there. We'll bring all these powers that be together. Let's just shoot the sh I'm down. What is a full contact sport is football. If you guys know the Zach Wilson stuff, Jesus. So let me get this straight. Zach Wilson. My only problem with Zach Wilson is that he cost me money when I was gambling last year. He should have been the number two pick in the draft. But his ex-girlfriend is blasting him on Instagram about that he was having sex in college. I never understood the whole BYU code there. So let me get this straight. Young people in a college setting should not have sex. That's against the Mormon tradition. Okay. I'm going to walk away from that for a minute. But the fact that his best friend's with his ex-girlfriend and their post on Instagram, guys, let's grow up. My biggest problem with Zach Wilson is his ability to read a defense. I don't care if he's hooked up with his mom's best friend or whatever. That really... Jesus. Root for you, Zach. Um... Instead of being on Instagram now, I hope you're doing some suicides and studying some game film. You cost me some money last year, so I'm not a big fan of the Jets at the moment. Let's talk about judicial elections. And then we're talking about growing up Jersey. When I talk about growing up Jersey, we're going to talk about socialization. My God, what a mind f that was, huh? These judicial elections are taking some heated turns. A couple people I just want to give shout-outs to. My friend Ravi Guru Murphy is up for the Clare Circuit Court position. It will be an appointment by Governor Whitmer. Ravi mm -hmm. has done prosecutorial work. He's done defense work. He's done divorce work. He's done civil litigation. He's one of the most well-rounded lawyers I know. He'd be an asset to that bench. Root for you, Ravi. 14A, the drama continues. Why is there so much drama in Washington elections? I mean, we've seen that the best people don't always win. We've seen that, right, recently? Let's let two people that are the best. Torchio Feaster needs to win that 14A election. Here's why. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The district court is the closest court we have to our community. 
young kids in Ipsy need to look up to somebody on that bench. The way they look up to a Judge Simpson. The way they look up to a Judge Washington. The way they look up to a Judge Freshour. The district court is so critical. We have some amazing jurors on that court. If the wrong person gets into that position, it's going to hurt young people in the Washington community. Torchio Feaster is far and away the best option because he just gets it. He went to EMU. He moved back to Washington when his wife took the job. That's why he came back to Washington. He didn't come back to win an election. He came back for a family decision, and we all reap the benefits of that. He's done an amazing job as a public defender. He cares about our community. He's connected to our community. we got to get behind Torchio. He's got to make it in the top two in this primary that he's got to pull the whole thing off. If he doesn't, I promise you this, the district court will be set back. And people will say, well, he's a public defender, you're a defense lawyer. Listen, there's a reason my name is not on a ballot, right? Because I'm too pro-defense. We all know this. I guarantee you five years from now, I will not be on the circuit court, I will not be on the district court. I'll probably be doing criminal defense work. Found my niche. Torchio, on the other hand, is somebody who is more objective than me, more mature than me. He's somebody want on the bench. You don't want somebody on the bench because they're your friend. You want somebody on the bench that's going to have a strong knowledge of the law. You want somebody who's going to be objective. You want somebody who's going to protect the community. Every judge I've ever supported, every judge I've ever supported, they've never given me something I didn't deserve because we were friends. You don't want that in a judge. You want somebody with the balls to make the right decisions. And sometimes that may be going against me. That's okay. We want the community to be protected, and Torture will do that. Mike did a great job in Flint. He's the right guy for the job. And Mike, hit me up about the whole donation thing I saw online, because I definitely got your back. I love what you're doing out there. And thank you for keeping it real. I missed all this bull. Savage News Media has been keeping it real since I've been involved on Facebook. Since I've known about it on Facebook. So thank you, Mike. Mike's a good friend. Good guy. Circuit Court. Gotta go Arian Slay. Slay has such amazing knowledge of our criminal justice system. She was the perfect candidate. She's the most qualified candidate in our county. Slay just gets it. And Slay and I have banged heads on many cases. The many times Slay did not give me what I wanted for a client, but she always follows the law. So when people again say, well, you want Slay on the bench because she's your friend. She is my friend. She should have won the prosecutorial election. I think we see what happens when the best person doesn't win there. You know? I want to leave that alone for now. Stay tuned on that one. With that being stated... Arian Slay and her family, they are what Washtenaw County is supposed to exemplify. They're just good people. They care about this community. She is the perfect candidate. So Slay in Circuit Court, Torch in District Court. Ravi, I hope you get that spot, man. Ravi would be great in Clare County. All right, let's break down the South Jersey stuff. People want to talk about it. I was thinking about my youth, right? People say you're very different. Thanks. I guess. I don't know. 
it seems like as my career has grown, there's been a lot of different haters out there. As Mike was told about earlier, I gotta tell you, I really do get energized walking into a court where defense lawyers hate me. No, it's like you're invading their space. These guys are so f***ing territorial, man, sometimes. You know, there's enough criminal allegations to go around for all of us to make a lot of money. We'll be okay. If you come to Ann Arbor, I'll shake your hand and show you where to stand. If I come to Oakland and you got a problem, just get out of my way. And a lot of that attitude that I'm displaying comes from South Jersey. Now, it may shock you guys. I seem really confident today and got this arrogant thing going on, but being like an intellectual in the ghetto in the 90s in Atlantic City was not really a great thing to be. Shocker, right? Yeah, it was really different to read a Langston Hughes book and your mock trial prep when other people were dealing drugs. Let's break that down. Because what we learn is that cool changes throughout the ages, right? In St. James, we'll start there, we'll start at the beginning. Grammar school. Ugh. The teachers at St. James kind of set like this caste system up. And the caste system was going to determine who was going to be good with the girls, who was going to be the future stars, who was most likely to succeed. Gotta tell you, those projections were a little off. But in St. James, cool was defined as somebody who, whose family gave money to the church. Or somebody who kissed the right ass. Somebody who was Miss McDevitt's favorite. And it was confusing because being a white kid from Atlantic City going to St. James, we took buses to get there, right? And St. James was mostly Ventnor kids. There was a flare of Atlantic City, but the, there was a line demarcation, right? The Atlantic City kids were not treated with the same respect that the Ventnor kids were treated with. We were kind of outsiders, and John Paxson could attest to that. John Pax is a friend of mine who is a professor at Rutgers, and John could tell you some horror stories. John and I don't always see eye to eye on things, but we share that Atlantic City commonality. Um, Scott Grave, I can't wait to destroy you at Pickleball, because I eat too much red meat. We'll see. St. James had this whole tone for what was cool. And then that changed in high school, right? So what you thought was cool in high school, sorry, in grammar school, it got altered, it got compromised in high school. Let me tell you about high school. Here we go. For people that tune in. Atlantic City High, right? Brigantine, Atlantic City to the left, Ventnor and Margate to the right. Now, being a white kid in Ducktown in the 90s was quite a treat. A friend of mine recently sent me a text saying how great high school was, and I'm thinking to myself, were we in the same place together? So in Atlantic City, being poor and white, um, you had some obstacles to overcome. The girls you liked were often from Ventnor and Margate. And a lot of those girls liked the Atlantic City kids. They would come and hook up with the black and Spanish kids in my neighborhood behind mommy and daddy's back. So now you weren't cool enough to be one of the black or Spanish kids. And then in Margate, you weren't wealthy enough to be with the Jewish kids from Margate. 
Boy, those Margate kids were f***ing ass, Doc Grable. I know you're 10 years ahead of me, but my God. Margate had, like, this flair of arrogance. And quite often, it was arrogance with nothing to substantiate it. And the Vetner kids just wanted to be with the Margate kids. So now, cool, being a ladies' man, you saw athletes get the girls. You saw drug dealers get the girls. You saw little rich boys with trust funds get the girls. I didn't really fit in any of those categories at all. So Atlantic City, you had like this mindset of what was going on. And then that changed. College. Atlantic Community College. Ugh. I went to ACC because I had this dream of playing professional baseball. And I kind of thought playing travel ball in New Jersey was going to get me there. Oops. Grades are really good, thankfully. At ACC, the cool kids were quite often the college kids that dropped out. Like a kid went to Rutgers and they came back in. They'd get like ammunition out of going to Rutgers. Oh, I went to Rutgers for a term. Or drug dealers. Um, there's a lot of casino workers dealing drugs that were on financial aid on the side. Girls love them. It was an older crew. Atlanta Community College in the 90s was interesting. Very grateful I met Joe Messick. But you had a lot of bitter professors there, like bitter people. <laughs> Thank you, Scott Grateful. But it was weird. And at this point of the game... I also have a Tropicana influence coming. I'm bartending at Tropicana. I started bar portering at 18. I started bartending at 19. So now I start dating older cocktail waitresses. And it was a very different flair to your normal college experience. Then I took this into Rock, um, Stockton. When I transferred from ACC to Stockton, and at this point, Scott, many of the Margate assholes were really nobody's just so you're keeping track at home at stockton it was all these frats i mean listen people were having sex at these frat parties i mean they weren't suing for millions of dollars um years after and getting prosecuted wrongfully but they were hooking up and i kind of thought you get that one i kind of thought um basically I didn't understand this whole frat thing. I remember going to this one frat party. And they had one of those paddles. And they were beating someone's ass. And I'm at this party. And they're looking at me. And they say, so. Are you going to bend over and let me hit you? Mm -hmm. What the f*** is wrong with you? No. You're not going to touch me. I told this guy. He was like, juice stop, right? He goes, well, if we don't hit you. You're not going to be able to join this frat. Okay, listen, dude. You may be able to kick my ass. That's fine. I'll run from a fight in my life. Um, if you hit me with your fist or with this god paddle, we're going. We're going to war. You're not going to touch me to join this frat. Meanwhile, I'm like 20 years old with a 32-year-old girlfriend. I'm looking at things very differently. Um, with that being stated, spoiler alert, I never joined the frat. But in college, it was about these frat guys. It was the fraternities were such a big deal. I didn't fit into that. Now, one of the things in college was the band scene. 
The girls loved the musicians. That was a thing. Um, different musicians I knew back home. Danny Soriano, great musician. Jeff Cornell, great musician. Um, Bugsy was a great band in Jersey. They had that song Pizza in 1998 that blew up. Fuzzy Bunny Slippers. And these guys really had their little groupies. I was in the band briefly. We sucked. So, you know, the only girls I ever got from the band was, um, you know, the ones that felt a little pity for you. Oh, you weren't as good as the other guys. So the music scene didn't work out. But the music scene then, we went from the frat guys to the band scene. Then there were the intellectuals. The great thing about the intellectuals I always loved was, um, you know, I'd be in class with these people, but I will tell you, this will sound horrible, but the more intelligent these people were, the less attractive they were. It felt really good as being smarter than the ugly guy, because, I mean, and they were arrogant. Well, I could break down Shakespeare, too. A lot of frustration. They had their own little cliques. And some of the girls in college would love the intellectual guys, but then I used to wonder, like, you can't possibly be enjoying this, right? I mean, this is just not an attractive guy. There's this one guy, his initials were M.M. Not Matt McManus, because he's cool. But this other M.M. One of us, brilliant guy, very arrogant, but I mean, this guy's face could stop a grandfather clock. It was not a good-looking man. And he got good-looking girls in school because he would, like, talk poetry and intellectual shit, but I mean, you know... Brains are important, but my god. It's gotta be some physical attraction, right? And it was weird, those clicks. Union changed a lot of things. There's such a thing as union groupies. I know. Hard to believe, right? When I was running for office with the union, there were these women that looked up to, like, these business agents and these local politicians it was weird because now it was like these guys were like not attractive but they screamed a lot and they had their little groupings and you start learning that the whole fucking world's about clicks that's all it is and at Tropicana I'm finally like okay I'm gonna get into law school and I'm gonna get the hell out of Atlantic City and blah 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 and you know I had success with the opposite sex and all that, but I was never, like, in the right click back in Jersey. And then one day, well, you know, you know the rest of the story. Kind of made my own scene, and that was that. And, you know, and Scott Grable, listen, man. I know it sucks. There's, there's assholes in Margate. I got more money than I'm better looking in the day. It's okay, man. Don't worry about it. Because even though you're from Margate, you're okay. You made the cut. I mean, I understand that you have to protect these people because you actually have good memories with them, but look, bro, they were ass. So I hope you're getting this all down. I hope you report that to the Chamber of Commerce. South Jersey, man, it was like this friggin' Ferris wheel of emotions. I'm happy to say that throughout all the failures growing up, it's easy to laugh at these people today. I mean, I'm enjoying that. Why is my Facebook profile public? Because I want them to see my success and be pissed off about it. I've told that to people before. God bless Michigan, because 
all my weird dysfunction was so embraced by you guys. Finally, I was the cool one. And then when I went back to Jersey, had this Michigan weird flair to it. So you got the Jersey accent, the 609 number. You're confusing everybody. Everybody's drawing into you because they're freaking confused. Josh Strickland, I hope you enjoyed this content. We'll get you more. Mayor Ken, let's get that live done next week. D Black, thinking of you, buddy. All right, I'm Bill Amadeo. Later. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation. Consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.